Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Wouldn't it be amazing? If we could stop talking about Bitcoin and start talking about stocks sometime. Sadly, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Not with so many younger people buying all sorts of cryptocurrencies with borrowed money, sometimes on a hundred to one basis. Nutty, huh? That's right. You can control a huge volume of crypto for little capital up front. And while we follow the stock market, the Dow gaining 124 points today with the S&P declining 0.08% and the Nasdaq losing 0.48%, we're just waiting to see slow motion cryptocurrency collapse and see if it can bring the house down. I say bring it on. I think that the easy money in crypto has been made. Although if you forget to ring the register, a lot of that easy money has been unmade with Bitcoin down nearly $30,000 from its peak. From here on in, it's much more difficult because there are too many of these different kinds of cryptocurrencies and nothing stopping you or me or anyone else from creating a new one out of whole cloth. So much for the chief reason why I got involved to begin with, the scarcity value. More important, if Ripple or Dogecoins or Ethereum can cause a run on a bunch of shadow banks that clobbers the stock market, which is exactly what I expect to happen, then you need to be ready to buy your favorite stocks on weakness that are brought down by crypto madness. Now, I'm not so sure how crypto captured our collective imagination, except that these coins had huge moves. And at a certain point, people put the, buy this stuff simply because it's going up, including yours truly. But before that, you had a bunch of billionaires very publicly pushing their cryptocurrencies of choice. I say the same thing about non-fungible tokens, which have all the negatives of crypto with none of the positives and certainly no market to speak of to dump them off once you bought these digital keepsakes. And of course, the speculative mania extends to the stock market, although at this point it's feeling more like speculative depression. Either way, it could use some lithium, the drug, not the battery. On Monday, we get a bit of the other uh, big fascination besides crypto. Oh, oh, speak of lithium, electric vehicles. When Lordstown Motors reports, I love the symbol ride, right? That's about the only thing that's really good about it. Lordstown is one of the myriad companies that's, that's riding on the overburdened coattails of Tesla. 
They took an old GM plant and converted it into a factory for light-duty electric trucks. Of course, right now, this market despises all the pre-revenue SPAC plays because they burned people so badly over the last few months. Lordstown stock's down roughly 70% from its highs. I don't know how they can get their mojo back, but, you know, maybe they'll surprise me. I'm, I'm an open-minded fella. Tuesday morning, we hear from one of my favorite companies, AZO, AutoZone, the incredibly lucrative auto parts chain that's addicted to buying back its own stock. This is a very reliable company, so you can get in the zone both before and after earnings. After the close, we get results from a company that's quietly become one of the greatest stories out there, and it's called Intuit. This is a $118 billion company, and it creates the best software for small business accounting, something I know from my experience with my restaurants, which I am very grateful to say are both back in business. Intuit stock hit an all-time high today. I I don't think that's going to deter buyers. Now that the great reopening is upon us, will people keep fleeing the cities for new houses in the suburbs or even the country? You know what? That's been a great theme for Toll Brothers, the high-end home builder, but the stock hit a wall earlier this month, along with the other stay-at-home stocks. My view, if Toll tells a story of strong orders and, and this is really important, expanding gross margins, I think the stock can get its groove back. But everything has to be perfect, including assurances from management that lumber and appliance costs are indeed under control. we got a period, uh, a pair of, of really important analyst meetings that I want to mention to you, and I usually, I mean, I focus on some analyst meetings, but these two I think are going to be terrific, J.P. Morgan and Young Brands. I think they are going to go extraordinarily well. That might not matter to J.P. Morgan depending on Tuesday's action, but I bet you this Young Analyst session can move the needle. Wednesday's insane. I mean, just a huge batch of earnings reports, starting with Dick's Sporting Goods, new CEO. I bet they deliver astounding numbers because all sorts of sporting goods are in short supply as Americans venture outdoors on mass. Go to one. You'll see. I was at Cabela's last weekend. They, they, they claim they're out of a lot of stock. I believed it. After the, that's the largest. After, I mean, physical. After the close, we hear from some of the hottest companies on Earth, and I predict they'll be very good. First, we've got retail, American Eagle Outfitters. That's the A in the lag trade, which is L Brands. Remember, this is the one that... Uh, that uh, Matthew Boss, J.P. Morgan says L Brands, and then American Eagle, and then Gap. We'll talk about that set one in a second. We got Williams Sonoma, which you know is Laura Albert. They've done a great job so far this earnings season. Though only one retailer has really stood out, and that's Target, which outperformed on every metric. And we'll give you more on that later. I think we could see a similar strength from American Eagle, as it's currently the hottest apparel chain on earth. What about Williams Sonoma? Well, I expect great numbers, but it's been tagged as a stay-at-home stock of late, which is the kiss of death in this post-pandemic market. Maybe they can tell the story in a way that we know is that it's a long-term positive. Then we've got several beloved tech stocks. There's NVIDIA, Snowflake, Okta, Workday. NVIDIA announced a four-for-one stock split today, and buyers went banana, taking up 15 points and one point up 20. I think the chipmaker has a lot going for it, but I still want to hear how confident they feel about getting regulatory permission for the ARM Holdings acquisition. It's a big position for my charitable trust. Workday should deliver some one more stunning quarters. They use cloud software to automate back-office jobs in human resources and finance. As for Okta and Snowflake, well, they're two of the fastest-growing companies on Earth. I expect great numbers from both, but you should only buy them if you think this market will change its attitude toward high-flying growth names that don't trade on earnings, trade on sales. Mondelez, the fantastic confection stock, has an analyst meeting on Wednesday. I expect good things from this company besides free samples and this quietly building an empire of cookies, candies, snacks. You got my permission to both eat all that they make and buy it ahead of the meeting. Thursday morning, we've got some wild card retailers. We've got Best Buy, Dollar General, Dollar Tree. I like all three and think they're good stimulus plays. But their stocks have become awfully controversial, and I don't really care for controversy. There are easier ways to make money. You want non-controversial? I got one for you. I think you buy Medtronic. 
Don't yawn. I like boring. I bet they report a stellar number because its medical devices are being installed in record numbers post-pandemic. There's a lot of pent-up demand from people who delayed surgery until they could get vaccinated. Makes sense, right? Now, after the closed Thursday, we got an embarrassment of riches. In retail, both The Gap and Ulta Beauty are reporting I'm expecting perfection here, and I bet we get it. Gap is very much back, something you can tell if you visit their stores. Crisp, clean, and reasonable prices. Ulta's a big winner once everyone can take their masks off. We also hear from Costco. Now, listen to me on this. This is hard. Costco has a tendency to run up into the quarter and then sell off immediately, even if the numbers are great. Doesn't matter what they print. I love Costco, the store. I love Costco, the stock. I love it for my charitable trust. But you don't want to buy it until after you see the results. Let this one come to you. Finally, we've got two techs, Salesforce and Dell. Salesforce reported a barn burner last time and nobody seemed to care. Uh, Maybe because they still need to close the Slack acquisition. So be careful. As for Dell, you can buy it ahead of time because Michael Dell's going to tell a fantastic story. Friday's light, but we do have from two retailers that do intrigue me, Big Lots and Hibbit Sports. I'm betting both will be terrific. Big Lots is a discounter that's really gotten it together of late. Hibbit's in the hottest part of the retail business, which is sporting goods. So if you see Dick's do a good number, and you will, why don't you grab some Hibbit for Friday's trading? The bottom line, all in all, this is an historically slow week, or at least it used to be. But there are now enough new companies come public that reporting it's now jam-packed, as we like to use it in the cliche term. Maybe, just maybe, that can finally please overshadow Bitcoin or Ripple or Threadbare or whatever the heck, uh, as long as Elon Musk can keep his mouth shut about the currencies. Robert in California. Robert! Hello, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. No problemo. What's up? Hey, hey, quick question for you and get your opinion on Owen and Miner, the medical supply company, uh, ticker OMI. Okay, we, listen, had listen, great, we had uh, Ed on. We had Ed on when this was single digits. And I said I wanted you to go all in. Then caught, literally, we caught a quadruple. When you catch a quadruple, here's what you say. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. And thank you very much. How about we go to Dylan in Florida? Dylan! Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Dylan. Hey, my dad and I are longtime fans of the show. I'm calling, oh, in, reference thank you. The, calling in reference to the crippling gaming stock, Penn National Gaming in particular. Been following Penn since pre-pandemic and gained a lot of interest when they acquired part of Barstool Sports. The stock is almost cut in half from all-time highs just a few months ago, even after a very solid earnings report. Sports betting in Indiana just went live for Penn, giving them a total of four stakes. More to come by the end of the year. This is very tough because I've been thinking a lot about this, this stock. And you know what? I think that you have to accept the fact that NFL, the NFL betting is going to be bigger than the NBA betting. And that is what's going to make it so that you're going to have another home run in this. But you know, the NFL doesn't start until the fall. So bide your time. Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? I'm okay, thank you. Hey, Jim, XL Fleet, $7 stock down from 35 Clean Energy, Electric Drive Systems, sells to Ford, Chevy, GM, Isuzu. You had management on your show back in March. Yeah, Everything but that was, a, that was a fiasco, right? I mean, Mark, that was a fiasco. We had them had on, and then some short-selling report came out instantly saying that they were a bunch of jokers. I don't know. I mean, look, at 7 bucks, anything can bounce to 9 I like to say, well, I like that. And also, I'll give you another one. Stocks gratefully stop at zero. Usually next, and that's not going, I'm just saying these are, these are pithy maxims. 
Usually next week would be a slow one, but with all these new companies that came public, I'm going to snowflake into Octane. Well, you get the picture. There's a lot of stocks that are uh, companies that are reporting. And maybe, just maybe, all this could for once overshadow Bitcoin hysteria. That Musk isn't on Saturday Night Live again. Is he? Are we okay there? Now we're in the Dogecoin? All right, we're okay. On Man Money tonight, could Cisco see a rebound as restaurants reopen across the U.S.? That's the S-Y-S-C-O kind. I'm sitting down with the CEO after Zoom, after analyst day, to see what's, what's ahead for the stock. Then the warm weather is here. Is Yeti a buy? I mean, I don't know, right? Heading into summer, isn't this interesting? I'll tell you if the stock can help your portfolio keep it cool. And is it time to sail into an investment in SailPoint, a little cybersecurity? I'm going to talk to the CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, if you're going out to eat recently, you know the restaurant industry is making an incredible comeback. So what's the best way to play it? Well, I would say it's SYY. Yes, Cisco, the food distributor that supplies restaurants, hospitals, schools, hotels. Hey, by the way, not just here, uh, Europe, particularly in Ireland, by the way, really good business there. Yesterday, the company held an Investor Day event where they laid out a new plan for the future. Cisco's aiming to grow 50% faster than the rest of the industry. They also announced a $5 billion buyback, boosted the dividend by 4.4%, announced the acquisition of a key property, Greco & Sons, Italian specialty food distributor. Put it all together, there's a lot to like here, and you know I've liked it for a long time. Let's check in with Kevin Hurricane. He is the president and CEO of Cisco Corporation. Hear more about his vision for the future. Kevin, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate your having us on the show again. Great well, to talk to you today. I got to tell you, I am so glad you're on the show because, you know, I get all this different anecdotal evidence about how well restaurants are. You are not anecdotal. You are empirical. Could you please give me the state of the restaurant business in our country right now? Now, here in the domestic market, the business recovery for independent local restaurants, the recovery is here, Jim, on a national level, on average. We're running increases to 2019. And yes, I said increases to 2019 right now. And I would say fully reopened markets are running double digit increases to 19, because as you know, there are still major metropolitan markets like New York, where you happen to have restaurants that are still under some pretty heavy restrictions. And those markets are down double digits. So when you put it together nationally, increases to 19 and the harbinger of good success to come with that data is as New York and Chicago and Boston and 
parts of California reopen, there's only upside to this recovery. Okay, so they tell me these national numbers are that there's 150,000 restaurants that have gone out of business. Is the uh, the rest of the business going to just these fewer and they're doing well, or is that statistic just plain wrong? Well, the data that we have, Jim, is that fewer than 10% of the unique restaurants that were open pre-COVID are now closed. And I would submit that's actually a better number than most pundits had speculated. They were speculating numbers well north of that. So I would say there is some success there that fewer than 10% have closed. At Cisco, actually, we're serving 10% more unique doors, Jim, than we were back in 2019 which is a 20-point delta to the industry due to the good work our sales team is doing to be out there prospecting new customers and educating them on what Cisco has to offer. But to specifically answer your question, consumers want to go back out to eat. They have food at home fatigue. And yes, the stores, excuse me, the doors that remain open will see higher productivity because of what you just described. I'm using your data from now on because it's boots on the ground data. Now, you've done something that I think is, you did many great reorganizational ideas during this period. I mean, really, and you accelerated everything. But one that you did that I thought was brilliant, you are doing cuisine-focused selling. And I kind of wish, well, why were you doing that before? What a great idea, right? Yeah, Jim, we unveiled at our investor day yesterday uh, what we call recipe for growth, which is a five-point plan for how we can better serve our customers from improving our digital tools to improving our marketing capabilities, improving our supply chain, which I can talk about later. And this fourth part, which is what you just mentioned, is our is our cuisine-focused selling. We know that we under-index in the ethnic cuisine segments like Mexican, Italian, and the many forms of Asian right. food. And the why, Jim, is our sales force wasn't properly trained wasn't given the the right uh, tools to be able to succeed, and the product offering wasn't optimal. So yesterday we announced the acquisition of Eddie Greco's company. We welcomed Greco's family to join the Cisco family. They have perfected the model of better serving the Italian cuisine segment, which, as you know, is fast growing, and we're Mm -hmm. thrilled to welcome our family and enable us to have a better go-to-market strategy. We're going to take that platform, that Greco platform, and bring it to many other geographies across the country. I thought that was a brilliant idea. Then other, the uh, growth pillar number three is something people come on our show all the time and say, well, the supply chain broke or the supply chain, that was the problem, or supply chain semiconductor, supply chain for uh, consumer packaged goods. You, your supply chain works. How come? Well, we got the broadest and strongest supply chain in the food service industry. As you know, we're the backbone of the food away from home network. So it's robust, it's strong, it's efficient. The difference, Jim, what we're doing in the future better than the past is we're going to be more flexible to meet our customers where they are. So what does that mean in straight talk? It means more frequent deliveries, more agile and flexible uh, later in the evening cutoffs. So if you run out of something for one of your restaurants, we're going to be there for you tomorrow morning if you need it. So meet the customer where they are, increase delivery frequency. That's point one. Point two is something we call omni-channel inventory management. We have the broadest inventory in the industry, over 150,000 unique SKUs. But any individual customer today only sees a small percentage of that. So work we're doing with our supply chain and technology teams is to open up all of our inventory, specialty produce, specialty proteins, plus our broadline inventory to be able to get what they need in a timely manner. Jim, what we said to our investors yesterday is we can double the number of unique SKUs available to an individual customer without adding a single piece of inventory to our network, which is obviously an efficient use of our capital. Yeah, absolutely. You made that point. I think it's so important for people in business. Winning more share from existing customers, you have their wallet. That's the best way to have best gross margins and therefore best sales. 
100% right. We said yesterday by adding one additional case to a customer that we're delivering to, that case flows through at a higher profitability than the case before and on and on it goes. And the tech tools that we're deploying, the improvements to our merchandising and marketing capabilities, plus the supply chain and sales force improvements that I described, we're very confident we can increase our share of wallet with customers we serve. And Jim, today, that's only 30%. We're the biggest in the industry by far, but we have only 30% share of wallet for customers we serve, and we're confident we can increase that through the plan we deployed yesterday. I believe it. I mean, this is your time. It really is. And you, come, you came out very strong. That's Kevin Hurricane Cisco, but it's the SYY kind, guys, president and CEO. It's great to see you again. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate being on. Absolutely. Have a great day. Absolutely. Great company. We have money's back after the break. Coming up, even for those Florida pace, Torrid is the pace at which they're ready to run in the sun. Can this outdoor stock harness the power of a Yeti and fire up investors with scorching summer returns? Mad Money will be right back. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. You know me. I'm always on the lookout for companies that report great quarters only to see their stocks sell off, especially when those companies are part of a broader secular theme that's actually working in this environment, which brings me to Yeti Holdings the maker of high-performance outdoor gear, especially coolers and drinkware. They've got everything you need for a tailgate party or a camping trip. Yeti's a play on the great outdoors, a group that did great last summer because the great outdoors was the only way to safely take a vacation at the height of the pandemic. But unlike most COVID winners, the outdoor stocks have mostly been able to keep running in 2021 because they still got a lot of things going for them. Tens of millions of Americans have been basically stuck indoors for the last 14 months, and now many of them they have been vaccinated. There's a widespread desire to finally go outside and have a good time. And that is where this comes in. Uh, yet when the company reported a fantastic quarter last week, the stock didn't get much lift. Thanks to the recent turmoil, it's actually down a couple of bucks from its pre-earnings highs last week. In other words, I like to say you're getting Yeti's latest quarter, a great one, for free. At these levels, I'd just be a buyer. Betting against Yeti has consistently been a mistake ever since the stock came public in the fall of 2018, and many have made that mistake. See, I started recommending it a month later when it was trading at 17 and change. Not to toot my own horn, but that was one of the best calls we've made since the show began. With the stock now trading at $86 and change, it's up more than 390% in about two and a half years. And look, one of the chief reasons I recommended it was, yes, I looked at the product, I liked it, and then looked at the financials. I think this can't be beat. Along the way, Yeti stamped out a lot of the skeptics, just demolishing every bearish argument they, that anyone could come up with, one after another. Not long after the IPO, the big worry was that Yeti had come public with a private equity backer. It was a firm called Cortec, and they still own a majority of the company's shares. It didn't help that the private equity guys had also loaded this thing up with debt. I don't like that, but it's what happened. These problems did solve themselves. 
Quartet gradually unwound its stake as the stocks rallied. They're now just the 20th largest shareholder, owning barely more than 1% of the business. So much for that worry. As for the balance sheet, Yeti's performance has been so strong with so much cash generation that the balance sheet has never been a problem. In fact, now they've got more cash than debt. Pretty extraordinary. You had an incredible buying opportunity last March when the COVID collapse took down the entire market, but you had to pounce immediately because within a few months, Yeti was making new highs again. A big beneficiary, I said, of the great outdoors trade. The stock had more than quadrupled from its lows by the end of last year. And unlike most of 2020's biggest winners, it's continued to work to run in 2021. Right now, Yeti's up more than 25% year to date because the company reported a pair of phenomenal quarters with absolutely staggering guidance. Now, coming into the new year, the general feeling was that these stocks, well, they were getting played out. Sure, the company was doing great, but it had run up dramatically. And you had to wonder if the strength was already baked into the stock, as has been the case in a lot of technology stocks. For example, in January, Citigroup raised its price target for Yeti from 69 to 85. But they also downgraded the stock from buy to neutral, as the stock was already at 78. While they didn't turn against Yeti, the conventional wisdom had gotten a lot more ambivalent. When Yeti reported its fourth quarter results in February, the numbers were fantastic. You got a big top and bottom line beat, 26% revenue growth, record gross margins, what they made on the stuff, and an incredibly bullish full year forecast. That's exactly what we're looking for here. Management was talking about 15% plus growth for 2021. Analysts are only looking for 21%. I'm sorry, the only ones were looking for 10. They got double what the analysts were looking for. I mean, I don't know, City analysts who just downgraded the stock, turned around and he upgraded back to a buy. I mean, that's a lot of quoting, but he wanted you to own Yeti. Yet the stock actually sold off hard in response. It went down 8% (laughs) the day of the report, 8%, as most of the 2020's biggest winners got got hammered in late February and early March. Nobody cared that Yeti had great numbers, but by late March, Wall Street stopped being so indiscriminate. After the smoke cleared, buyers circled back to stocks with excellent results and even better guidance. Plus, as spring got rolling, I think some investors wanted to get into Yeti before consumers started stocking up uh, on their products in preparation for the summer. Fast forward to the end of last week, and this company delivered yet another stunning quarter, the best one yet. Not only did Yeti deliver a big top and bottom line beat, they had 42% revenue growth. Do you know that's the fastest they've grown since the IPO? Remember the great guidance Yeti issued in February? Well, last week, management raised that substantially. Rather than 15% growth for the full year, they're now forecasting 20% or better. That's like what a technology stock does. Meanwhile, Yeti's built out a top-notch direct-to-consumer business, which is one reason they were able to make so much money when we went into lockdown. In the latest quarter, direct-to-consumer sales were up 59% year-over-year, much better than the wholesale business. And these direct sales have higher margins because Yeti's cut out the middleman. Hence why the company's gross margin was up 560 basis points last quarter. Now that the direct-to-consumer makes up more than half of their total sales, I wish I could somehow explain to you how unusual that is. Most companies just don't have anywhere near that direct-to-consumer penetration. On top of that, Yeti's invested a lot of money in new products, like cooler bags, and they're growing like weed overseas. The company's international sales are up 146% last quarter, meaning this brand isn't just for frat boys and fishermen anymore. I'm a fisherman, that's why I have it. Now, the one knock on Yeti is that the stock is expensive. I, I'm not denying that. It's currently traded 37 times this year's earnings estimate. But you got to consider this. In mid-February, before we got that fourth quarter results, the stock was at 78. Wall Street expected them to make $2.07 per share this year. In other words, it was trading at 38 times earnings. But you fast forward to today, Wall Street expects them to make $2.34 per share. So even though the stock's up eight bucks, it's actually still cheaper than it was in February on earnings basis because the estimates keep going higher. That's why stocks end up looking cheaper. 
I think this is the kind of growth story where you end up kicking yourself for letting the valuation bother you because the actual earnings numbers tend to come in a lot higher than the estimates. So I recommend sticking with Yeti here. Okay, so what about the other great outdoor stocks we recommended at the beginning of the month? Look, you got to own it. Mixed bag. Got a big winner in Lippert, the marine and RV parts supplier. Reported a great quarter. Stock got slammed anyway before bouncing right back, just like we told you it would. The golf plays, they're incredible. Callaway, uh, Kushnet, I mean, these things are unbelievable. Um, and the same thing goes for Vista Outdoor. However, there are other outdoor plays that can't get out of their own way. Camping World reported a spectacular quarter. Insane earnings beat. Stock initially jumped 10 bucks. It's now rolled back that entire gain and then some. And then there are the losers, the makers of the big ticket items. Brunswick for boats, Thor Industries, and Winnebago for RVs. Since I recommended them just three weeks ago, Brunswick's down 10%. Thor's fallen 18. Winnebago lost 15. The craziest thing about this decline is that there's no clear catalyst. Brunswick held an investor day, but it was basically a non-event. Other than that, there's nothing. I like Brunswick. My view, these companies still have fabulous fundamentals, and believe it or not, stocks actually do get cheaper as they go lower. So I'm sticking with Brunswick, Thor, and Winnebago. What's happened, of course, is people say, who needs those? Now we can go out anywhere else. We don't need to do what we were doing before. The bottom line, the great outdoors is here to stay. And if you want to play it and play it right, I'm telling you, my favorite, Yeti Holdings. Ryan in Mississippi. Ryan. Hi, Mr. Kramer. I'm a longtime listener, second-time caller. Good man. I have a question about a stock. It IPO'd in October for $12 a share. It's ran up to about 30 and has kind of went stale. And down here in South Mississippi, it sure has got hot. So it makes me think summertime. What do you think about Academy Sports and Outdoors? Well, it's Ken Hicks. I'm a big believer in Ken Hicks. This stock has been a horse. It's up 63%, and I like him. And I think you got horse sense, my friend. Let's go to Chris in California. Chris. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Yeah, I hope you're doing really well. Thank you. All right. I'm doing well. Yeah, yeah really How are you good. doing? <laughs> Thanks. I don't know. I'm thinking we should talk stocks. I mean, look, the Phillies have lost so many games in a row. Let's talk stocks instead. Okay, so my question was more about Marriott. Well, Marriott is, a, you know, it's a tough one. I was speaking to actually to a professional football coach the other day, and the um, former Arnie Sorensen was the CEO, and he was just quite simply a great man. And I want to see a couple of uh, quarters under the new fellow's belt because Arnie Sorensen uh, – was one of the greats. And I don't know how you can walk in his shoes. I'm sure this gentleman's trying hard enough. He did a very good job when he was on CBC. But I am having a hard time recommending Marriott until I see more because Arnie Sorensen was a giant. All right. My favorite way to get on the red hot great outdoors trend is Yeti, which is my go to everywhere. This stuff stays cold. It's really great. I mean, that's one of the reasons why people like it so much. Hey, Mad Money, we got a lot more. We're going to sit down with SailPoint Technologies. More companies consider a hybrid work model. Could the company bank on the trend? Then who's to blame for the recent supply shortages we've seen? I'm giving you my take. I think it's going to surprise you. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Is it time to circle back to some of these beaten down cybersecurity stocks now that we have all these cybersecurity incidents? I mean, some of these names are finally getting some real lift, but not all of them. Take SailPoint Technologies. That's an identity security software play with a stock that's fallen some 30% from its February highs. 
All right, so some of that weakness was just about that rotational I keep talking about, out of the turbocharged growth stocks with little in the way of actual earnings. Some of it has to do with competitive developments. Last month, we learned that Octa's trying to encroach on SailPoint's territory, although SailPoint will tell you that they actually don't see them that much. But the real issue is the most recent quarter. SailPoint's currently switching from an old-school software license model to a much more modern and loved software-as-a-service model. And we know this kind of transition can be a bumpy ride, even if it's a good move long-term, which it almost always is. While this cloud transition is happening, though, the earnings become confusing. So when SailPoint reported two weeks ago, a lot of people were turned off by the imperfect headline numbers and the fact that management, they... Well, let's say the reportage said they cut their full-year forecast. However, SailPoint argues that the most important metric is now their annual recurring revenue. That's how you judge a cloud play. I can't agree more. And that number was up a stunning 43% year-over-year. And maybe they're just getting some traction. After opening down, the stock recovered a bit. It's now up nearly 2% since the quarter. So let's take a closer look with Mark McLean, the co-founder and CEO of SailPoint Technologies. You get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. McLean, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Great to be back. Thank you for having me again. All right. So, Mark, in your recent quarter, which I know because we said the annual recurring revenue is what we care about, you said, I want you to think of SailPoint as your IT wingman. Why are you our IT wingman? Well, I think, Jim, we talked about this a couple times now, and I think you're all over this with a lot of your interviewing in the security space. Security is a very, very hot sector, has been, continues to be. It's still a very unsolved problem. We saw that with Colonial, right? right? But more and more, people are very tuned in to the centricity of identity in the realm of security. So if you're going to run, you know, we're all talking about digital transformation, depending more on IT to, to advance and make your business more competitive, well, then making sure that business is secure and trusted is a big deal, and identity is at the core of that, and that's right where we sit. Okay, so I think we've got to drill down on this identity because another thing, term that you use that I think our, our viewers want to know about is the, the question of, you said at one uh, multinational, you are uh, involved with protecting 200,000 human identities, but also 200,000 machine identities. How can a machine have an identity different from a human? You saw Space Odyssey 2001, right? No, I'm kidding. Um, that's <laughs> not what we were talking You're about. You're Hal. <laughs> Hal, Hal. Where's Hal? <laughs> no, uh, I think what we're talking about here is that increasingly both machines and even programs, you know, a subset of a machine, a software program, there's a term software bot. Um, these things are actually mimicking the behavior of a human. That's why they get a reference as an identity. For instance, a software program might be the initial loan processing triage, right? You're seeing loan applications come into your bank, and the first thing that does, it goes through a program and kind of credit risk, credit scores it. That behavior is the kind of thing a human used to do, but that's a program that actually often will reference other business applications, reference data. It's doing the thing a human used to do, which is touch multiple systems, gather information, make a decision. Well, well, our IT professionals are very tuned into the fact that that, just like a human, is now a point of attack. It could be hacked. It could be compromised. So they want us to help them not only protect all the access coming in from humans, whether employees, contractors, business partners, or even customers, but they also want us to help them protect those identities, those non-human identities that also represent a point of risk. Do we have non-human identities at home now when we do work from home? I've, I've heard that our refrigerators are going to start ordering milk for us. Uh, I'm afraid I'm sure that they'll that's... get into our... Look, I have a computer at home. It's not, okay. it, not hardware. You have a anything. computer? Well, I've got, you have a I've computer? Got like Come on. But I do fear <laughs> yeah, right. that, for instance, I'm going to mention a country that I... I uh, my father worked for the Chinese. Okay? He worked for the, P, okay. uh, for the PRC. 
But I don't okay. want the PRC looking in my in my PC. I, but I imagine if they're no. really smart, they could do it. Yeah, and, and really, it's a it's a like a target question for the right. for the bad guys, if I will, Jim. Like their their motivation to break into your home computer is far less than to break into Bank of America's or right. JPMC's or the government. So it's partly a target rich environment question of they're going to go as the old bank robber said, where the money, where the is, money right? is. So they're going to go after those targets. So there's an increasing focus on protecting those targets, right? One of the hottest topics is phishing, right? How do you protect the people that work for you from not accidentally giving up credentials or information? So the bad guys continue to adapt and get smarter. I think now they're going to start trying to figure out how do I attack those non-human identities? Can I compromise one of those software programs or that machine? Now I'm into the enterprise and they don't even know I'm there. Well, I like to bring something when I got a a guest as smart as you are. I got an idea for you. If this country, we just saw, you mentioned the Colonial. Uh, We we know uh, there was a big insurance company, very good insurance company that just paid ransom. The Foreign Corrupt Practices Act is about stopping people from paying ransom. Shouldn't all of the cybersecurity companies like you get together, go to Washington and say, these companies, they've got to stop paying ransom and that would then force them to go higher sale point instead of thinking they can get away with it. Well, um, let's just say that um, I'm sure you're familiar. You know, President Biden signed a new executive order all about cybersecurity. Right. It has impacts on those that do business with the government. It has impacts, I think, for all of us that are in the cyber market and how we reflect. I think, Jim, you're right on. I think what you're going to see is more collaboration between um, key players in cyber, between those players and key customers, I think particularly in infrastructure and financial services in the government. We've got to kind of bring the house, as it were, to to band together and say, how do we uh, put up better defenses? And it's not up to the commercial sector, obviously, it's up to the the government to potentially send some strong signals back that if you do this, there's repercussions. I think our job is to help our customers Customers protect themselves, and, and I think the government is ultimately going to have to help us. In I that agree because I think that the companies that have been paying are companies that have said, to the most part, you know what? I'm not paying SailPoint. I'm not going to pay Okta. I can get I can Palo Alto. Forget about it. We have strong internal systems, and then our whole host- country becomes hostage to these guys. No, no, they have to be able to. See, right. You have to say to yourself, I better hire SailPoint, or else maybe I'm going to pay a big fine or even go to jail if I pay off in Bitcoin. So anyway, you keep fighting the good fight because we need you more than ever. Mark McClain, co-founder and CEO of SailPoint Technologies, whose uh, who's, uh, coffee cup I use every morning. Good swag, my friend. Good swag. Man, buddy's back into the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy down the lightning round. Quick, let's with Bob in Nebraska. Bob. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Long time watcher. Read three of your books. You helped me save lives here in Omaha. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless you, man. Wow. Wow. Right back at you. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm first time caller, too. So, Opto Health, OPK. Uh, you know, it's, it's problematic because you got bioreference, and that's calming down because of the pandemic. And then you have all these other great things that they've got that they got to start talking about, but they don't want to come on the show. So I have to say pass. I need to go to Giant in Michigan. Giant. 
First CEO Brian Cornell made sure he was incredibly close to what his store managers needed. Boots on the ground, even at the lowest level. Second, he's got an innate sense of optimism about the American consumer. And that's an attitude that would have been disastrous if we hadn't gotten people vaccinated so quickly. No wonder the stock was up big again today after yesterday's mammoth move. Third, most industries in this country have a just-in-time philosophy. For, look, for example, decades ago, the automakers learned that there are lessons about the needless expense that comes from being vertically integrated. That first came, by the way, from Henry Ford. Because they needed to raise cash, they spun off their auto parts subsidiaries as separate companies and then forced those suppliers to keep their wares on their books so as not to tie up the company's capital. In other words, maintaining a robust supply chain is expensive, and in corporate America, it's widely regarded as wasteful. Our companies never want excess inventory on the books. They want minimal inventory, and they'll order what they need when they need it. That just-in-time model worked for a very long time. But it falls apart when your suppliers run out of stock. Again, look at the American auto industry. They ran out of semiconductors, and because they can't get more fast enough, they've had to slash production, even though demand for cars is off the charts. Meanwhile, the Chinese automakers are doing just fine because they still remember what it was like to have shortages, so they stockpiled components. There's more to the semiconductor shortage. Shipmakers used to ship their higher priority products. This is something people don't know, so bear with me, okay? This is something I've been working on behind the scenes. They used to ship their primary products when they couldn't get them fast enough on airplanes, commercial jets, okay? But think about it. There's been a huge decline in commercial jets going from, say, Taiwan and Singapore to California. That used to be big traffic. Without those giant passenger planes carrying stuff in the hold, everything needs to come in via our ports. And that's one of the big reasons why the ports are totally swamped. But just-in-time inventory management isn't even the worst problem. Why did nearly every company underestimate the strength of this rebound? Because executives were way too skeptical about our ability to beat COVID with the power of science. It's hard to blame them for their skepticism because the negativity was indeed so palpable. You had two main reasons. First, before COVID, the fastest we'd ever developed the vaccine was four years. That was months. Second, there was a widespread disbelief in the government's ability to get anything done. Most executives I talked to believed that Operation Warp Speed was just a gigantic PR stunt to help the previous president get reelected. But even a PR stunt can be good policy. They didn't understand that if you took the risk off the table, that would incentivize the companies to participate wholeheartedly, which is exactly what happened. Again, I understand the cynicism. It's not like President Trump showed much faith in science in any part of his administration. And other than Operation Warp Speed, he never seemed to take the pandemic seriously, even when he caught COVID himself. Sure, the White House had a lot of good things to say about the vaccines, but they also had a lot of good things to say about bogus miracle cures like hydroxychloroquine. The result. Most businesses I know were caught totally flat-footed by Moderna and Pfizer. The latter was less surprising, but Moderna really shocked people. I mean, even though they had had some success all the way back in February, not long after COVID first caught people's attention, hardly anyone believed in this kind of small biotech. That's right. That really was the biggest mistake, people. As the president touted snake oil and so many drug companies seemed baffled, Moderna and then Pfizer's little partner, BioNTech, well, they broke the sound barrier to get things done. Now we're all paying the price for the lack of faith. Part of the price is shortages, something that's got the inflationistas in an uproar. That's also make it difficult for more companies to, uh, to deliver. Ultimately, those companies will get back on track. For now, though, they've got a high-quality problem. The vaccination program is better than anyone anticipated a year ago, and the economy's doing so well that these firms are struggling to catch up. Sure, practically the whole business community has been taken by surprise. But you know what? At least it's a good surprise. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'd find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. 
Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.